Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Restoration Church. So glad that we get to be together. Um, Everybody in, in, in Plymouth, Milton, and Bethlehem, so glad that we get to be together and to preach the word, to celebrate in our service with water baptisms, and uh, just a lot of things that God's doing and a lot of things that are happening and going on. And this has been, and without exaggeration, the, the greatest year in Restoration Church's history. And there's been a lot of great years. But God has just done miraculous thing after miraculous thing after miraculous thing this year. And um, I'm going to, I just, I just, man, to, to stand on stage today, today, man, I, just, I really feel it. Just a sense of, to, of stewarding well what, he, what he's doing to make sure that we're not getting in way of it, to make sure that we're not... Uh, putting our own ego in it to make sure that uh, we're not allowing people to steal joy or rewards from us from what he's doing, but that we're, we're maintaining committed to, to what he's asking us to do. We're, maintain, remain, we're maintaining uh, a commitment to his word. We're making sure within our own hearts that, that sin hasn't creeped in, that, uh, that a, a sour spirit hasn't creeped in, but that we're, we're just keeping ourselves open to what he wants to do and, and to what he wants to speak. It is obviously, you, you know, we, we're baptizing a, a, a bunch of people here today at Restoration Church. And, um, you know, we had already, and, and I'm going to communicate it this way, but it's not exactly what I mean. But we've already broken records this year for the amount of, water pe- ba- amount of people that have been water baptized. And we're not trying to break records. We're just trying to introduce people to Jesus, but we're seeing so many people giving their lives to Jesus and taking a step at water baptism. It, it causes us to just take a little step back and to, and to just watch and to, and to be able to say, and what I want you to be able to say is, wow, God. Hallelujah. Wow, God. We, I think sometimes we get stuck in a spot where maybe we think that God has stopped doing things. And because we're so focused on our own circumstance or our own problems that we just get so insular and we forget that God is still active and alive and moving. He's still the God of the miraculous. He's still powerful. He's still greater than any enemy that would ever stand against him. Um, I think I forgot to introduce myself. (laughs) My name's Nate. And I, I just want to quickly share the miracle offering with you. So we give, uh, as Christians, we be, uh, one thing we see in Scripture is that we trust God with our financial life through tithing. And this is when we give 10% of our income back to the local church that we attend. This is tithing. We practice it. I practice it. My family practices it. And we also give additionally above that to kingdom builders. And this goes toward three areas, local church expansion, global missions projects, and raising up future Christian leaders. 
And every year in November, we have miracle offering where we, we, we just pray, God, what do you want me to bring? What do you want me to do? And then we're obedient to that. And every year, again, we're just astounded at what God's able to do in a church in New Hampshire when everybody just says, hey, God, I'll do what you want. And so our miracle offering total um, for, for this year is $60,922.99. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I want to make a moment. I just want to take a moment. And I have to preach fast because of our baptisms. But I want to take a moment to stop and pray. Because as we think about the water baptisms, as we think about uh, service attendance, as we think about miracle offering, as we think about just all of the things that God's doing, we want to stop and just again make sure we're glorifying him. All right? So will you close your eyes? You don't have to if it makes you uncomfortable. Will you close your eyes with me? And as I pray, will you just in your heart affirm this same prayer to God? God, we recognize that what's happening here is not anything that we have done. The only thing we've, the only part we've played in this is being obedient to what you've asked us to do and, and, and praying prayers that you've called us to pray. It's you, God, who gets all the credit and all the glory. We thank you for this miraculous miracle offering. We thank you, God, for all of the baptisms we've seen this year. We thank you, God, for the miracles and, and, and the growth. We thank you for it, God. It's not for our glory. It's not for my glory. It's for your glory. And I pray, God, that everyone will know how real you are. Everyone will experience how great you are, how loving you are, and how kind you are. And they will make that decision, like so many of us have, to follow you and to follow you wherever you want to take them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse number 13. And I'm going to, I want to read a passage of Scripture that is potentially one that you've misunderstood. Uh, I think it is one of the passages of Scripture that, that is, uh, it's one of those areas of Scripture that, that is misunderstood. And it can cause us to have an understanding of Jesus that is inaccurate. It can cause us to believe something about Jesus that's not true. And if we believe something about Jesus that isn't true, we can begin to act in our own lives in ways that are actually against Scripture. There are some seats right up here in the second row if you want to let everybody stare at you as you walk. Um, but as we, as, we, as we walk through the Scripture, all right, uh, we'll, we'll just begin to break it down after. It's John chapter two. And we're in this series called Like Jesus. And in this script, in this series that we've been going on all year and we're finishing the year with it, we're, we're trying to say, hey, Jesus, what are you like? Make me like you. I want to act and live like you in every area of my life. And today we're going to talk about fight like Jesus, fight like Jesus. And you'll begin to see um, you, why we've chosen this passage to talk through. So John chapter 2, verse number 13. 
This is after Jesus has um, uh, the, the Palm Sunday, where Jesus, the triumphal entry, where he's come into Jerusalem and he's riding on the donkey. People are putting down uh, uh, their, their jackets and palm branches, making him an impromptu red carpet. And it was nearly time in verse number 13 for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Verse number 15, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. I want to show you a picture. There's been a lot of um, artists' uh, interpretation of this scripture that we've read. And in this picture, and I didn't take time to look up who the artist was, but in this scripture, it, it looks like Jesus is whipping this lady. Does it not? And everybody, I mean, this lady's on the ground. Maybe he knocked her over as he's flipping over a table. I'll be honest, it it makes Jesus look maniacal, right? Insane. I don't care what type of righteous anger we would try to contemplate, but we understand, is this what Jesus was like? And as we read this passage of scripture... This could be what our imagination is. Wow, Jesus is a little bit different than I thought he was. Or we're like, you know, that's why I'm part of a biker gang. Yeah, that's the Jesus I love. But is this accurate to what scripture is saying? I don't think it is. And when we talk about fighting like Jesus, many people use this passage to justify using violence in their own life. They use this passage of scripture as a way to avoid God working on violence and anger in their own life. I think this scripture is being misused to allow you or me to mistreat other people. We're going to fight like Jesus. Let's look at the scripture a little bit here. Was Jesus... Fighting? Was he whipping innocent people? Was he attacking people? Let's begin to look at it. Let's talk about the whip here first. This whip. Um, now we're gonna. This is because this scripture is often under, is is misunderstood. As you read it in different translations, what happens is different translations are going to interpret it different ways. So the one we read was New Living Translation. And it talks about that he grabs some cords, some ropes, made a whip and chased them out of the temple. Well, other translations we'll, we'll talk about, and they'll translate that original word into it, talking about like reeds or um, the way we would think of it uh, is um, like long pieces of grass or even like a cornstalk, like he's, he's grabbing these materials. 
So as you begin to look at that, the first question you begin to have, and that scholars have begun to, were investigating and have investigated over, over the centuries, is, well, where did he get that? And we would say, you know, he just grabbed some rope, made a whip out of it, but, but the language is showing that it's probably something a little bit more than that. He's fast, he's taking time to make a whip here, and you're not making a 20-foot-long braided uh, bull whip in that short amount of time. What he's doing is he's near the, and you can take that off, because it, I, I don't, it's so inaccurate to what I'm trying to communicate. What Jesus has done, he's, he's gone over to this area. Where they're selling cattle, they're selling sheep, they're selling doves for people to, um, in, in the Jewish faith, to be able to pay, to have an animal, to bring the sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. So Jesus is by the animals. He grabs bedding for the animals, which was the, the reed and the straw. And he fashions something like a whip and begins now to cause a disruption. But what exactly was the disruption? So we move down into the next verse in the scripture here. This is now where there becomes to be uh, even uh, additional um, ways to translate the scripture. So it says here, verse number 15, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle and on and on and on and on. So that's one way of understanding this. Jesus drove out people and he drove out the cattle. He used his whip, he's driving everybody out. And we've got to, again, imagine that in a short time, he's crafted this little whip. No one's going to be afraid of this. It's like if I took my time and well-crafted a whip out of a towel, even wet and frayed the end, so it was a proper bullwhip, and I could take that towel, snap you in the leg, and draw blood, which is very, very possible. <laughs> but if I were to do that in this room... And say, you know, Pastor Nate's going crazy. He's mad that we weren't laughing at his jokes in the sermon. And so he just jumped off stage. He started whipping us all with a, with, with a towel. No one here, I mean, if people would be like, that's a little stunning. That shocked me a little bit. But eventually, I would be very quickly overpowered. Because it's just a towel. This whip that Jesus has cracked, he's in a hugely populated area. And he's not just going to whip, they're not just going to be afraid of one guy with a whip made out of bedding or even a whip made out of some rope that he put together. So there are other translations, the, the ASV, the, uh, the NIV, that offer a different understanding and alternate reading to the scripture. So here's what the NIV says. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple cords. Both sheep and cattle. He's got out of the coins on and on. So this understanding and the way some other translations communicate this is it would be, um, so he drove all the sheep and cattle from the temple courts. That's what this reading means. So he drove them all. He drove them all. He drove all the cattle out, both. He drove all the animals out, both sheep and cattle. This is what this is communicating. So our understanding is 
that Jesus is not whipping people in that picture we showed before. He's not whipping ladies to drive them out of the temple. But what he's doing is these, these overpriced animals, very, very valuable. He takes his whip, he opens the gate, and he starts whipping these animals, shooing them. And so you've got hundreds of animals, thousands and thousands of dollars now that are released into the temple and are running wild. So what do the people who own all these animals do? They begin to take off, chasing their sheep, chasing their cattle, chasing their money out of the temple. Huge, huge disruption. When we begin to think of him flipping tables and turning money, again, we are reading into this that he's got road rage. We're reading this like, oh, Jesus showed up. He saw evil. And let me just say that this has nothing to do with churches selling sweatshirts or t-shirts or coffee in their lobby. It's something, you've turned it into a den of thieves. You've sold t-shirts. No, that is absolutely not what it means. This would be like me uh, preaching and say, hey, I've got a good Bible verse here for you, but I need, 20, I need $25 to continue. Anybody have $25 now share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. That is a much more accurate representation. So uh, I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> Is it going to come? It's not. We'll move on. Anybody want to yell out and help you out? The coin. So he is not acting angry. He's not acting angry. Instead, you have to think of it. He is walking in. He is broken hearted. He is broken hearted. And you need to think through this as yourself. If you were a dad, a mom or dad, and you walked into your house and you saw your child who you deeply love using heroin or fentanyl and to think through how you'd walk in, you'd be brokenhearted, you'd be devastated and you would flip the table over and you would scatter the drugs and you'd say, don't you know how much I love you? Don't you know how much I want you? Don't you know how much? When he walks into that temple and the good news that God loves all people, God wants all people and they're charging, triple charging people in order to have forgiveness. He comes in broken heart. Don't you know? Get these things out of here. Get this out of here. This is not what this is supposed to be. This is not what your life is supposed to be. This is not what relationship with God is supposed to be. Get it out of here. Get it out of here. This is the passion that's consuming him. It's passion. God's love. The Father's heart for you and for me. Continue on understanding this scripture. A few days later, Jesus is in an illegal trial in the middle of the night. There's the Jewish leaders who want him dead. And in this trial in the middle of the night, you know what's interesting? That they don't use evidence? Him causing violence in the temple just a few days before. I think if Jesus was whipping ladies, then it would be pretty easy. Hey, Jesus, we're arresting you in the middle of the night. <laughs> 
hey, I'm Caiaphas, and Jesus, you've been whipping ladies in the temple. So we're going to uh, arrest you now and bring, you bring you before Pilate. Why don't they ever use an act of violence as evidence that he's not God because he never acted in violence? He never hurt anybody in that exchange. Even in verse number 18, uh, it's John chapter 18, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate's like, hey, they're trying to arrest you. I don't know what to do. Help me out here. Give me something. And Jesus says this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, pay attention. This is going to connect some dots for you. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. What is he saying? Again, he's, uh, he's a, I, I, I'm not going to act in violence here. This is not my calling. This is not my assignment. And we look another scripture that was written before Jesus. Isaiah 5, chapter 53, verse number 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. What is communicating. Again, Jesus was never violent. And we've read the scripture over and over and over again that Jesus stepped into the temple and hurt people. And maybe we've used it as license of our own to step in and hurt people. But if we're going to fight like Jesus, that interpretation of that scripture is not our model. Here, I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures here real quick, but to, to understand this, all right, we're going to talk about fighting like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, it's a famous scripture that helps us to, uh, that helps set the framework for this. It says this, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. So we like to stop, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers. Let's make sure we're understanding it. Of the unseen world. We're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. If we're going to fight like Jesus, we need to recognize who we're fighting against. We've said it over and over and over again through the years. The people that we see, the people of this world, whether they're politicians, whether they're, they're corrupt people, whether they're evil bosses, you, you know, the people we see in this world, they are not our enemies, but they're victims of our enemy. And so when we think about fighting like Jesus, we're not thinking, of, we're not, we're not thinking about the faces, because we recognize they're Victims of our true enemy. It's the powers in this unseen world. If you have a, a, a son or daughter struggling with addiction, the dealer is not your enemy because they are caught in the same, uh, they're caught in the same trap by this unseen enemy. But it's an unseen enemy trying to kill and destroy. How do we fight like Jesus? These things are going to be nothing new to you. 
but maybe you're not doing them or maybe you're not using them as a weapon. You're not using them thinking about warfare. You're not using them thinking about fighting like Jesus. Here's the first thing, and it's going to be obvious, but it is prayer. Isaiah chapter 37, verses 21 and 22 says this, and uh, just be the context of this we can't go into, but we want to connect to this. Then Isaiah, he sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. Go back on that last page. Because you prayed. That is the key thing here. Hezekiah is up against an evil king. What does he begin to do? He begins to pray. He begins to pray. He begins to pray. As a church, we, we told this a couple weeks ago that we're, uh, and this might be a shock to some of you if you weren't here that week, um, and uh, that's why you get to come every week. Don't ever miss a week. Um, but we, we told you a couple weeks ago, we're under contract to sell the Dover building, and we're under contract to buy a new building. And we've been telling you, we need to pray this to completion. All right, pray it to completion, that through prayer, it will get through any red tape, through prayer, it will get through any, uh, any issue that can come up, and, and we're praying it through completion, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and nothing will stop it. Another way that we fight like Jesus is with the use of Scripture. And the most famous account where Jesus did this was in, uh, was in Matthew chapter 4, where it talks through his temptation. And Satan himself, the enemy that's our enemy, he shows up to Jesus because he knows if I could take out Jesus, there will be no baptisms at Restoration Church today. So Satan comes and tempts him. And he uses scripture to tempt him, which is always something to be aware of, that uh, when someone tries to pull you away from Jesus, even to try to pull you away from church, they may be clever enough to use scripture as evidence. But we have to make sure we're looking at scripture ourselves. The enemy says to him, hey, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say... People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the word, from the mouth of God. A scripture is put in front of him, out of, taken out of context, and he puts it, he uses scripture to say, no, this is what scripture really says. And people will come to us and say, hey, scripture, I think scripture is telling we can do this, we can do this. Scripture is telling us we can take uh, whips and whip people uh, anytime they cut us off in traffic. Jesus did it. We're good. We're good. And we're going to say, wait, no, what does scripture really say? It's easy to take a single verse and try to try to use it to our own advantage. Like, here's a good controversial one. I probably don't have time to go into it, but hey, let's have some fun. Um, one that people always get upset with, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And you know what a jerk, you know what a scumbag husband does? Wife, you need to submit to me because that's what scripture says. Wait a minute. The wife needs to use scripture to come back, a misused scripture and say, husband, it says 
to wash your wife with the water of the word, to love her as Christ loves the church. And all of a sudden now, that guy's got to repent. And you're welcome to schedule him to come to my office. Uh, so <laughs> listen, continue to understand how scripture is a weapon that we fight with. Ephesians chapter 6, the, the armor of God, the sword of the spirit is what? It is the word of God. This is not an antique book. This is a multi-dimensional assault weapon. Multi-dimensional assault weapon. This is a weapon to attack with, not each other, but spiritual powers. So listen, I'm going to teach you a quick combo move. Some of you are into video games, think Street Fighter 2, or I don't know what else, WWE 2K23. Think combo move here. Pray, scripture, combine those two things. To do that, you must read scripture, correctly understand scripture, meditate on scripture, and then apply scripture to your specific situation. But pray scripture. Pray scripture. God, your word says that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I stand on your word. And the enemy is coming with this attack, but we stand on your word. And God, we declare right now, that you're protecting us, and that none of these weapons that the enemies have put together are going to make even a dent into my family, my life, or the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Here's the last one. We fight like Jesus. Jesus fought on the cross. Colossians 2.15. In this way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Capture that, right? Our battle is, is not against flesh and blood, it's against unseen rulers, unseen powers, spiritual influences. Jesus has disarmed them all. So they're not showing up to a gunfight with a knife, they're showing up to a sword fight with, uh, with 10 digits. Here we go. <laughs> He's disarmed them. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now listen, there are some things that we're talking about being like Jesus. There's some things that Jesus did that we cannot do and some things he did that we should not do. And we should not take the penalty for our, our own sin upon our own cross. He's already done that. All right. We don't have to be punished for our sins. We can simply say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive the life you offer me. And receive that. And we don't have to do that. And we have to understand that this is how what Jesus has done. He's disarmed these spiritual powers. He's taken away Satan's power to hold you hostage. There's no ropes to keep you tied down. There's no chains to keep you tied down. There's no weapons held to your head to say you cannot leave. No, it's like any hostage you just, just feel like, wait a minute, you can't actually keep me here? Well, no, you have to stay. Well, make me. Well, no, you have to stay. You, no hostage is going to stay like that. You cannot be held hostage. Today, you can make the decision. Jesus, that's it. I'm, I'm getting free. 
And all of these things from my past, all of these things in our family history, all these things I thought were the reasons I could never pursue you, but I recognized they were just, I was being held hostage by posters that say, do not leave. But because of what you did on the cross, I can be free. We should not go to the cross, but instead we should be recipients of the cross. How do we fight like Jesus? By letting him fight that big fight for us. I'll receive, Jesus, what you've done on the cross. Last verse, and the band uh, can get into place and, and location passages. If you're doing baptisms, you can get ready. The last scripture here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24. He, Jesus, personally carried our sins. Or you can put a Y there. He personally carried your sins in his body on the cross. So that what? So that, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Sometimes we're doing everything that's wrong, but deep in our heart, what do we want to do? We want to love our kids. We want to have a relationship. We want to cherish our spouse. We want to make an impact in other people's lives, but instead we've been stealing and hurting and abusing. But what? We can be dead to that life and live now for what is right. Listen, pray this scripture. By his wounds, you are healed. This is what God has for you. Will you close your eyes and let me pray for you, and then we're going to celebrate some of these at uh, some of our locations. Jesus, you are good. You are good. And I pray there would be a breakthrough in some people's lives today as they've read this scripture and thought you were like every other abuser in this world. That is not what you did. It's not what you came to do. You came that there would be no condemnation for those who are in you. You came not to condemn the world, not to hurt the world, but to save the world and to bring them home to you, Father, to your Father. I just pray that everybody at every one of our locations, we would just be freed from the lie that the enemy is telling. As he's holding us hostage, he's telling us, you don't want to leave. God is bad. God is mean. God is angry. God hates you. And we're being held hostage. And we recognize, wait a minute, that is not who God is. And we would step out of that situation we've been in. We step toward you, Jesus. We ask you, Jesus. Jesus, for those making the decision to follow you today, it's not hard, it's not complicated, there's not a background check, it's not an application process. All we say is, Jesus, I need you, forgive me. Jesus, I choose today to follow you. And in that moment, what Jesus did on the cross now applies for, to us. All of our sins are forgiven. All of our chains are broken. All of our past is forgotten. And when God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And I pray for everyone making that decision today. They pray, they talk to you. They pray that they put that in their own words and they express that to you. And we thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus, for forgiving them. We thank you, God the Father, for adopting them. And we thank you that we are now part of the same family. Jesus, we love you. We praise your mighty name. Amen.